Hi, I'm Debbie Georgiatis. Welcome to my show, America Can We Talk? Today, we're going to talk about the Roger Stone sentencing triggers the Democrats. Texas Congressman Ron Wright joins me to talk about impeachment, unions, and protecting life. And the squad and Ayanna Presley do not speak for women. And I'll tell you why these stories matter to you. Stay tuned. Debbie Georgiatis, host of America Can We Talk, is an author, attorney, and political analyst whose mission is to inspire the American political conversation about preserving liberty in the best country on earth. America Can We Talk is sponsored by GC Works, a Dallas-based company performing advanced technology research in the oil and gas industry. Hello again and welcome to America Can We Talk and to today's First Five. I'm Debbie Georgiatis. You may have read the news today, but the House Judiciary Chairman, Gerald Nadler, has announced that he has subpoenaed and reached agreement with Attorney General Barr to testify before his committee in the House on March 31st. I have not yet seen verification of that from the Department of Justice, but Chairman Nadler is announcing this. The topic of this subpoena and that hearing relates to the decision by the Department of Justice to change the sentencing instructions for Roger Stone. The Department of Justice lawyers get to submit to the court what they recommend as a sentence for Roger Stone, one of the individuals indicted in connection with the Mueller investigation. And I am not kidding when I tell you that there are already members of the Democrat House, Democrat members of the House, including Democrat member Swalwell, I'm never trying to say his name correctly, who already said in a CNN interview over the weekend that he might consider this the changing of the sentencing uh, guidelines, sentence request from the Department of Justice as grounds for impeaching not just Attorney General Barr, but even another impeachment action against the president. He has talked that way on the Senate side, Elizabeth Warren, presidential candidate. She came out crying again about this is an impeachable offense. But I want to just talk, just put a little bit of context about this, uh, where we are in this situation. As you heard from our guest yesterday, Victor Davis Hanson, after three years and millions of dollars and hundreds and hundreds of depositions and thousands of hours of, of, of questions back and forth, what Robert Mueller found at the end of it all was zip, zero, nada, nothing. Absolutely no basis for the Trump-Russia collusion accusation by the Department of Justice against President Trump. All that the Mueller team touched, everything they looked into, all the prosecutions they undertook, all of that sprang from the completely baseless lie of an accusation against President Trump related to the Russians. So this is how Roger Stone ended up at all in front of the Mueller team being interrogated and ultimately indicted. And he was convicted. I believe it was seven counts. He was convicted of seven counts, all relating not to colluding with the Russians, not to, and, and you know, nothing about money. It all had to do with Roger Stone in the eyes of the FBI having lied to them or lied to Congress. All of that related to Roger Stone at the time working for the Trump uh, campaign, trying to get access to whatever information Julian Assange and WikiLeaks had about who hacked in to the, D, the uh, DNC server. But the context I really want to put this in is this. This is a Democrat party that has been talking about impeaching the president before he was sworn in. A Democrat party dedicated to finding a reason to remove him before he was even sworn in. And after he was sworn in, looking at effort after effort after effort to remove the president, including the most recent impeachment battle we all had to watch. And finally, of course, we all know the Senate ruled that the impeachment, the House voted for impeachment and the Senate trial acquitted the president. But the whole hassle right now, the whole dispute has to do with the four lawyers, Department of Justice lawyers, who submitted, as they are required to do, as, as the prosecutors, submitted to the court their recommendation for how long Roger Stone should serve, what prison sentence he should get for this misleading, what they claim is misleading uh, conduct. And they recommended seven to nine years or seven and a half to nine years much longer than is normally what was expected, much normally that is, that is uh, requested for people of the, in these kinds of cases. And what happened was President Trump put out a tweet 
He basically said, sounds a little excessive. I was going to play the tweet, but I'm not going to do that. I'm going to show the tweet. Basically, it says, sounds a little excessive, and it did sound excessive. And somewhere in the higher ranks of the Department of Justice, somebody, somebody got to those lawyers and basically said, we need to reduce that. That's crazy. That is too much. The sentence should have been something more in the range of, you know, one to three, two to four, far fewer years. Because these lawyers who had prosecuted the case were offended that the higher ups in the Department of Justice said to them, you know, embarrassed them publicly, essentially, and said, that's crazy. That's way too long. It's out of it's out of step. It's, it's just outrageous was the word President Trump used. Those four lawyers quit. One of them actually quit his employment with the Department of Justice. Others are going to go back to other positions they have. But the point is, these four lawyers were so offended that President Trump spoke up and that eventually someone higher up, maybe even Attorney General Barr himself, said, yeah, that's excessive. We're not going to go after that. This is a case reminding you again in which there was no genuine pretext or as the word Attorney General Barr likes to use, no predicate for the investigation at all. We're now looking into how the whole hoax got started. That is what they're, they're investigating now. This is a case with no basis to go after the president, a determination, a relentless determination by the Mueller team to go after every single individual they could find, essentially with the goal of arm twisting them into pleading guilty to something with the hope that they would somehow give them information to get President Trump. That's what this is all about. This is the Mueller team continuing their aggravated assault on President Trump. And finally, someone's standing up and saying, you've got to be kidding me, Roger Stone, seven to nine years, a guy is 68 or 69 or something like that. You're gonna put him away for that long for that. This is kind of common sense raining down in the Department of Justice and is, is very upset. In fact, there have been this, not only is there this hearing now going to come up a subpoena where you're going to see Attorney General Barr back in front of the House Judiciary Committee, but there's also our statements out of other offices and, of course, mainstream media complaining that this is just an outrage and this will disrupt the justice system. What they're really saying is, how dare President Trump or the Department of Justice higher-ups, how dare they stand up for justice? How dare they challenge the almighty Department of Justice? The Department of Justice, they do have to operate freely of being controlled day-to-day -day by the president, but they are not they are not an omnipotent power above the president. They are not an omnipotent agency in control of America with no accountability at all. What really happened in this, to close out today's first five, what really happened is somebody called onto the carpet, these four people, for an excessive, abusive sentencing guide, request to the court. And finally, someone said, no, actually, this abuse have to end somewhere. This, by the way, this conviction is one of these we've been talking about in the show. This is a process charge. It is a, because they question him, and then they get him to say something slightly off, and then he lied. Now, I got to tell you, he, Roger Stone's not my favorite guy. He did, just, he did ignore the judge when she told him to stay off social media. He kept on going on social media. So, you know, he's got a little bit of an attitude. Maybe something about what he did wasn't quite right. But you have to fight back against this egregious attack on President Trump emanating from the lawyers who were all part of the Mueller team to start with. And that, my friends, is today's first five. So as I said at the beginning of the show, we have a guest, and I love, we have guests in studio. We have Congressman Ron Wright right here with us in the studio. Hello, sir. Hello, thank you for having me. I'm so glad that you're here. It's great to see you. I was gonna make a bow tie joke, but I didn't think of one, but I like it. You're, you're the bow tie guy. It, it takes a bold man to wear one. That's right. That's so, a true story. Okay, well. I, I would like, when we get to it, I would like to comment on your last segment. I'll just tell our listeners briefly, Congressman Ron Wright, he's here in studio because he does actually represent a district in Texas. Not my congressman. I would like him as my congressman. I have a Democrat. But Ron Wright represents CD6, Congressional District 6. At his, his very first term in Congress. He was right. elected in 2018. Started out in January 2019, and I could do your other history, but I'd rather hear what you think about my first five. Well, on the Roger Stone circus, let me just say, make two points. One is, if you compare that sentence that they recommended, that those four recommended, to things like rape, assault, theft, it's way out of whack. And to people who don't know what normal sentencing is, you do, um, 
any any sane person that knows about sentencing would know that that was way over the top. The other thing is this: if the Democrats dare go down this impeachment road again, and their their failure to remove Donald Trump from office has doomed them in November. If they try to do this again in an election year, even if it's Attorney General Barr, it will destroy the modern Democratic Party as we know it. Okay, we live in hope for that result. But I actually, I do agree with you. I think that, and I actually, I don't ever really feel sorry for Nancy Pelosi, but I will say she knew this was a bad idea, the impeachment to start with. Oh, absolutely. But she got arm twisted by her, by the squad, by the radical element, which is most of her party, and she, I guess couldn't stand the pressure anymore. And at this point, I don't know if she thinks she's got to, st- if she can figure out it, got to stop it again, or is she just going to let him barrel through and do it again? What do you think? My prediction is, is she is captive of the left in her party, the radicals. That We know what they want to do with, with their party. We know what they want to do to the country. She knows it, it's, it's terrible for their party. But uh, I think she's powerless to stop it because she doesn't have the votes to stop it in her own caucus. That's amazing. And, you know, it's funny when the squad who joined Congress the same year as you came along, Nancy Pelosi tried to kind of isolate them. They're kind of extreme. They're, you know, they're not really the Democrats of today, but they seem to be like they're running the place. Well, what they what they discovered and what the leadership of the Democratic Party in the House discovered is the squad doesn't need them. They don't need the speaker. They don't need Steny Hoyer. Because they have their own following. AOC sends out a tweet. She's got millions of people following her. So she doesn't need the leadership of the House. to get. They don't need them to get their message across, to get some of these crazy ideas uh, you know, actually into some of the laws they're trying to pass. Okay, so I did want to start with the impeachment, and then I want to go back to the State of the Union, and then I get three or four bills you're sure. working on. But on the impeachment, at least from your, your sitting home in Texas, right. watching in television, it seems like Congress is so divided and there's such acrimony. But behind the scenes, when you're just working every day, is, is there a lot of tension still between well, Republicans there, there, and Democrats in the House? There is, and it's unfortunate because the first six months of, of uh, 2019, uh, you know, there were people on both sides of goodwill who wanted to work together to get some things done, uh, in, including me. I'm one of the most conservative members of the Texas delegation. I've worked with David Trone on, on, on a Pell Grant reform bill. Uh, with McAdams on a, the Finish Act that would, would help uh, higher education uh, keep kids in college. Um, I've had two foreign affairs bills actually pass out of the House um, that were bipartisan, of course, because that's the only way you can get anything passed out of the House. But once this uh, impeachment, once we got back from the August uh, break, um, it, it, it turned ugly, uh, very ugly. And I w- I'm on the Foreign Affairs Committee, so I, I was one of the three committees that was doing the investigation in the Star Chamber with Adam Schiff, so I got to go in there. Um, and what happened in there was a total travesty of justice to the point where Schiff would instruct a witness when questioned by a Republican, don't answer that question. Uh, it was a total travesty. It was never, there was never a reason to have it in a skiff. Because nothing of say what skiff is again. What skiff is? Uh, uh, it's a secured room compartment, right? Where uh, you know you have to leave your phones outside and all this stuff so that nothing can be. Uh, it would be a violation of ethics if one of us had said anything about what happened inside the skiff, and yet Schiff and his staff they were leaking what they wanted to leak to the press every day. Yep, I was part of storming the skiff. Uh, a lot of people made fun of that at the time, but guess what happened? They went public after that. You embarrassed them, Absolutely. rightly. Yeah. Absolutely. We, can, we controlled the room for five hours. We, took, uh, we basically controlled the news, sta- uh, you know, the news messaging for that five hours. So they did not want a repeat of that. And what it demonstrated to the American people was what a travesty it was, what a sham it was. Why are you doing this in secret? There was no reason to, and so they had to go public after that. Well, it was to build their record. They thought they would dig out everything they can yeah. to get the president and make sure everything they don't want public, somehow they can figure out ahead of time how to keep but, it up. But the impeachment the really poisoned the well in terms of our ability uh, to work together. There is an animosity, an anger on the floor that is palpable at times, uh, and it, it's preventing congress from from actually addressing the needs of the country and solving problems 
if you look at, at what the Democrat, what defines this Congress in the House more than anything else is the simple truth that last year they issued more subpoenas than they passed laws. That's a great stat to know, more subpoenas than laws. And that okay. is the, that's an absolute fact. All right. So, so it is just as acrimonious behind the scenes as it looks, or toxic as it looks. Yes. Yeah. It's really a shame. And actually, I didn't even read all the comments, but there are people in the House still hinting at maybe we'll find some other reason. And in fact, this very example we were talking about in the first five, this idea that President Trump weighed in on the egregious sentencing, uh, the original sentencing instruction on uh, Roger Stone, that some people will spin as, as another obstruction. You see, the president, he's interfering with the functioning of the Department of Justice. They, they, they forget and they want to fool the American people into believing that the Justice Department is somehow not part of the executive branch, but it is. They report to the president. Right. And it's also they have this notion or the left tries to paint that they are just immune from criticism. That this is the high and mighty Department of Justice. These are lawyers. They're ethical. How dare you question their motives? Well, I think, I think we saw with, with the FBI and the FISA uh, disaster just, you know, how human they really are. Yep, we sure did. Okay, so I want to hit, I know I swear we're going to get to talking about bills and substantive legislation, but it's so great to have you here. So I also want to talk about um, at the State of the Union. So this was your second one you just yes. saw in January. Yes. Um, that was such a disgrace. And if people had, you didn't see them often on camera, but if they had, if there had been a camera focused on the Democrat side, their behavior was the most childish, most juvenile I've ever seen from a group of adults. Um, all from catcalling the president to turning there was a gentleman up in the gallery that was a guest of Nancy Pelosi's who was saying some very vicious and horrible vile things yelling at and so the Capitol Police had to escort him out and when they did Democrats rose up and applauded him it was just insane and then you saw how it ended with Nancy Pelosi shredding a copy of the speech that was just disgraceful it was disgraceful, but you're right. You could not tell watching on television. You could not see this person. That, and everyone in there, I assume, is a guest of some member of the sure. House or Senate. Right. So this, this was a Nancy Pelosi guest yelling at the president during the State of the Union. To the point where he had to be escorted out of the room by the Capitol Police. And they applauded him. Wow. The ladies in white applauded him? Right. Man. Okay, well... Everything else is so dull after this. No, I mean, <laughs> no, I'm, I'm actually, I'm so grateful to get a picture of what's happening inside. I do want to hit two quick bills. There was one bill that I read about. Uh, this is HR 2474, and um, I think we were the uh, pro union bosses act. I That's mean, that what was what the right. Republicans referring to us. But in essence, can you describe what the Democrat majority, even though to be clear, the majority in the House. If it's really pro-union and pro-Democrats, not going to make it through the Senate. So it's just a message kind of right. bill to pass. What, what, they, what they've been doing all since the beginning of this Congress, I'm, I'm on the Education and Labor Committee. And so the, this bill, along with all the labor bills, went through the committee. And there's been more of that than there has been education bills in terms of hearings and things. And what this bill does, it's just a checklist that they're going down uh, to, to please the unions in the country knowing it's going to go no, nowhere after it passes the House. And you're right, it's a messaging bill. But what this one is, is, is really horrible because it does away with right-to-work laws. It does away with a lot of the, the secret elections. You know, they're, it, it would hurt workers far more than it would help them. And it would really almost destroy the economy in states like Texas that are successful because they have right-to-work laws. Can you quickly tell our listeners, actually, I'm a labor lawyer by background, mm -hmm. but I defended businesses and labor disputes right. and labor litigation, but right-to-work laws essentially say, or? Well, they basically say that you have the right to work whether you're a member of a union or not. You know, you're not, you're not forced to join a union. But having said that, if you look at unions in Texas, they're thriving. Look at the General Motors plant. Look at a DFW Airport. Look at some of these large manufacturing facilities they're all unionized yeah and those unions are doing great they don't need this but unions nationally are dying they're they now represent a very tiny uh, portion of the workforce and they're trying to revive the unions because that's been a staple of the democratic party 
It most certainly has in donations. I, I remember doing at one point a, a litany of describing the campaign donations from teachers unions to, to every strange kind of union. They're heavy donors, the Democrat Party, and that kind of collectivist mindset of unions goes with left-wing thinking versus the right. Republican, conservative, the right of the individual to decide whether he or she wants to join a union and how they want to function. In fact, part of this PRO Act that they, they passed would be a card check. They wouldn't even be required to hold an election to start a union. It's crazy stuff, and it will go nowhere in the Senate. We'll go nowhere in the Senate, but I do wish more Americans, I mean, I think the left has gotten away with signaling that because we stand for unions, that people should think, oh, we stand for workers. It's two different things. Absolutely. Unions are a, an entity, they're powerful, they control the members of their unions. And, and it is not, if you stand up for unions, you're not really standing up for no. the individual guy. The, the, the people that really support and represent workers in America is President Donald Trump and the Republican Party. He's the one, we are the ones that are creating the jobs. And we're the ones that are expanding prosperity in the country. And, and it's affecting more than any group, those at the bottom. Yep. Yep. I, we make this point many times. We're going to make it again uh, throughout this year is that the, the really the improvement in the economy come from President Trump's policies and taxes and, and pro-business is helping the little guy. Right. Yeah. In fact, I saw Star Parker had a Star Parker. Had, I mean, she had a, a column out talking about how actually under President Trump, the uh, the uh, black family has thrived, has, has oh, absolutely. increased more so than the, right. uh, the, their white counterparts. Right. I mean, really have been blessed by the you, policies. You look, of the, you look at all the minority groups, they're, they're rising quicker than uh, uh, any majority group in the country. Okay, love that. And so you voted no, but it passed the House. Right. It shall go to die in the Senate. It will. Yeah, and then, I mean, it's just a, it's a bill to send a message. Well, the, the other thing is this, and this is something I, that everybody needs to understand. What the Democrats have been doing in the House since the beginning of the 116th Congress is creating political weapons. Uh, they have passed a lot of bills, some of them just reauthorization of bipartisan legislation that has always been bipartisan, putting poison pills in it, that, knowing that Republicans will vote no so they can use it against them. I mean, who in their right mind would vote against the Violence Against Women Act. Well, right. nobody would. And it's always renewed every five years on a bipartisan basis. This time, they decided to let it lapse so they could rewrite it. They put a bunch of poison pills in it. Republicans voted against it. And you watch in November, they'll accuse be us. a campaign theme. Absolutely. And they've yep. been doing that. The, the bill today on the, on the ERA, same thing. They're just, it's, it's a wedge issue. For all their talk of unifying the country, no one divides the country like Democrats do. Amen to that. No argument here. Okay, I want to hit one other quick bill. I just thought there was a great thing that you did. Uh, this was H.R. 2817, the Child Custody Protection Act. It was a bill that you proposed. Um, and is, do you want to describe essentially what it involved? Well, essentially, right now, a person can, if they want to uh, skirt a state law requiring parental notification of a minor's abortion, they can put that kid in a car, take it across state lines where the other state does not have that law so the kid can get an abortion. Uh, my bill would prevent that. It would say, no, you can't do that. You cannot take a minor across state lines against their parents' wishes to get an abortion. Okay, so it criminalized across state criminalized lines. Criminalized yes. Be honest to say, I think that this is another example where the Democrats, they contort the message so much what your bill is doing and what Texas law, I assume Texas has a law that right. says you have to have parental consent for abortion. You're really giving, you're, you're reinforcing the role of the family and the Absolutely. right of the parent to make decisions with their daughter. And on, on the abortion issue, it's not what it used to be. It's not even what it was 10 years ago. They have so radicalized the issue in Washington, and I think most Americans don't see this. I also have a Tele-Abortion tele Prevention Act that basically right now what they're pushing, what they're promoting, the radical abortion groups, is they'll send you some drugs, you pick up your cell phone or your computer, you get somebody on the other line, and they'll talk you through taking these drugs so you'll self-abort. And it, it is a hard, oh. it's a big health issue. They're not in a medical facility. There's no medical personnel around, okay? Sometimes it doesn't work and the baby's born alive, but it still winds up in the dumpster. 
But the real issue is, this is a woman's health issue. And it kind of gives the lie to the, to the left's argument that this, this has always been about women's health. It's not. And they're allowed to do this under current law, and, my, and the Teleabortion Prevention Act will stop that. So that is a bill pending right now? The it's it's okay. pending right now. Most people have never even heard the word teleabortion. I it's, hadn't either. It's yeah. huge, and it's growing throughout the United States. Okay, so it's, it must be early stage, early it, stage pregnancies. Right. Oh, no. No, ma'am. Any stage pregnancy. They will send you, will, you a pill, and you, you take a pill. The abortion occurs at your home by yourself. Talk you, with, you would deliver a stillborn child. The problem is it doesn't always work. But oh that baby gosh. will still wind up in a dumpster somewhere. Yeah. But it's a women's health issue. Women, if they're really concerned about health related to abortion, should be, there should be an outcry against that practice, and yet it's growing in the United States. It's a human trafficker's dream come true. Oh, that's another great point. If they have people they're trafficking get pregnant, they just say, here's Absolutely. what you do. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Okay. Well, I noticed you got an award from the Susan B. Anthony Pro-Life People. I'm very proud of that. Got an A-plus or whatever, an A rating, which I love. Yeah. They're a fabulous organization. Oh, they are. They are. They're one of the best in the country. Yeah. Okay. I want to turn and talk about um, the health care issues that face us. And there was a, um, okay, here's my problem. I have more t issues than time. This is my problem talking to you, but I think I want to go to the healthcare thing. Sure. I saw this article that was talking, it was kind of making the contrast that in America, you have leftists, the president, the people running for president on the Democrat side, all in one form or another, pushing for Medicare for all, or I think you have uh, Pete Buttigieg is saying, you know, baby steps along the way, but we'll get there eventually. But it's, it's basically everyone's in favor of taking over right. the healthcare system, federal right. control of the healthcare system, Medicare for all. There's an interesting article that was pointing out that in America, the left is clamoring for what the Canadian people are trying to get rid of. You have right. Canadians trying to find a way to reintroduce an effective private health insurance market and, and care and they, they have to fight their own government to get it. But you had a personal situation involving you. You were diagnosed with cancer in July of last year, I think? July? Yeah, yeah, in 2018. 2018, yes. okay. And so you had, a, I believe at one point I was reading about, you had a recognition that part, if some of the things the left was pushing relating to taking control of the healthcare system, it may have prevented you from getting the care you needed. Can you describe it, it that? It absolutely would have. There have been so many dramatic uh, advances in medicines across the board, but particularly when it comes to uh, cancer, and it, it, uh, breast cancer, pancreatic cancer, lung cancer, the big killers. Mm -hmm. And uh, one of those is immunotherapy. And it, it's fairly new. Um, and the, the immunotherapy I was on was Keytruda. It was developed for melanoma, worked extremely well there. And we're talking about late stage cancer, stage four cancer and people uh, living years or even survive, uh, curing it. And it takes years to develop these kinds of drugs. Yeah. And a lot of money. And this was all done by Merck. It wasn't done by the federal government. Merck, the private pharmaceutical yeah, company. Absolutely. Yep. And so the investment is enormous. And what the Nancy Pelosi bill did, and mind you, there was a bipartisan drug bill going through Energy and Commerce Committee. And she basically stopped that and submitted her own drug bill that would be a government control drug bill that would have the effect of stifling research and development. It would, it would cost, they, the, uh, uh, the different cancer groups said that it would cost like eight cures a year. I mean, there's all kinds of statistics out there. I'm sorry, eight cures a year? A year. Okay. Would stop, the research and development would stop uh, they wouldn't be introduced because the, the government control aspect of this is so onerous, they wouldn't be able to afford the, the uh, research and development it takes to develop these new cures. It's insane. Do we need to do something about drug pricing? Absolutely. And the Republican plan, the Republican alternative, would do that without imposing all of these controls. And see, if you refused, if you're a drug company and you refused the the price controls of the federal government, they would tax you 95%. This isn't about health care. It's not about lowering the price of drugs. It's about control. 
It's about socialized medicine, and they're not going to stop until they see it. Even though it has failed every place else in the world, you know, socialism always sounds great until you actually try it. And it always fails. Yes, I mentioned for our listeners. Do we have? There was an article I uh, made a mo uh, allusion to a moment ago. Uh, it was just talking about in Canada how there are people who are trapped in the Canadian socialized medical uh, healthcare system. They are pushing for. They want more freedom for healthcare. They're pushing for U.S. style private insurance. And yet, what leftists do from every Democrat presidential candidate and most of them in Washington. And I could not agree more with your point. They're not about caring for people. They're about getting control of the healthcare system by the federal government. But I urge you to read this article. If you go to our website, americachemitalk.org, on the homepage, under shows, drop down, list of links, you'll see an article I linked that talks about how in Canada, the people who are stuck under the kind of system Nancy Pelosi is trying to push are trying to create a system like we already have here. And there are so many false promises by socialists, including the ones pushing socialized medicine, that somehow all of the access we have, all the abundance, all of the range of, of available care will still be there, and somehow it'll all be free. And this is, I'll, I'll go back to you then, because now you've been uh, dealing with this uh, cancer diagnosis and right. getting treatment. This is personal to you. So oh, absolutely. I, yeah. Uh, people, I'm telling you, people will die if this drug bill of Nancy Pelosi's were to become law. Uh, I was told when I was diagnosed that the average life expectancy was 16 to 19 months. I, I surpassed that in December. I'm so glad. I'm still You look here. great, actually. <laughs> I feel great. Um, you know, I'm, I'm working, working hard, and uh, don't plan to stop. I'm, I'm running again. No reason not to. But it's because of, you know, the grace of Almighty God and modern biotechnology. And we can't stop. We can't stop this. We can't slow it down. Too many lives are at stake. Wow, that is such a powerful personal testimony. I hope sometime, have you given this on the floor of the house? I have, I have. Uh, okay. I, mine was the response to the, the drug bill uh, the day it passed on the floor. Okay, I, I, I find that incredible. And I just find incredible when you hear stories like that or other stories, I wrote that both of my book too about people in England, people in Canada, people who have wealth and can afford to come to America to pay the best doctors will always come here. Oh, absolutely. And yet we're surrendering our system to make it more like the systems <clears throat> that people flee from if they can. If it's you go to MD Anderson Hospital, uh, which is probably the premier hospital for cancer in, in the country, uh, and I've been down there, uh, you will see patients from all over the world. Yeah. This is where they come to get good treatment. Oh boy. So we have been speaking today with Congressman Ron Wright. He's Texas CD6, Congressional District 6. I'm so glad you happened to be in town this week. Well, this worked I'm out great. Thank I, you. Yeah, I'm happy to be here. Thank you very much. Thank you, and thanks for coming in Absolutely. the studio. Great Thank to see you. you. Okay, folks, I do want to urge you to go to his website. You could, if you just Google his name, Congressman Ron Wright, and I think we had up during the time he was talking, we had his Twitter handle. Actually, you can quick tell us again. It's at Rep Ron Wright. Yeah, at Rep Ron. At <laughs> at Rep. Ron Wright. A lot of R's. <laughs> yeah. And, but Wright is W-R-I-G-H-T. Just a, a great congressman, a great conservative. So grateful he could be here today. And one more quick story today to tell you, and this goes back to my argument about how women need to shape up and not be pushed around by the left in deciding how we vote. I called this the squad and Ayana do not speak for women. So Ayanna Presley is a member of the squad. So she's one of the four members of the first year class they're they're far inferior to our guests today but they are members first year terms in congress they are radical leftists they're all democrat socialist type thinkers and ayanna uh, presley did a short little statement on the floor of the house i want to have you play matt the very wonderful producer play what you had to say and then we'll talk about it here is ayanna presley on the floor of the house the year is now 2020, and here we women are, still in so many ways, not fully free, still shackled. Today, I rise to affirm the humanity and the dignity of all women. I rise in strong, unapologetic, righteous support of H.J. Res 79, which will strike the arbitrary deadline for ratification of the Equal Rights Amendment, an amendment that should already be the law of the land. Women are strong hardworking, bright, and resilient. 
We are the backbones of our families, our communities, and our democracy. We do not live in checked boxes. We live in an intersectionality of lived experiences and identities. Our issues are everyone's issues because our destinies are all tied. Tomorrow's vote on H.J. Res. 79 is a vote for the preservation of our collective humanity. Despite our commitment to hard work, both within our households and on the job, we are still paid less than our male counterparts. In the Commonwealth of Massachusetts, women are paid 83 cents for every dollar paid to a man. But nationally, women are paid only 80 cents for every dollar a man is paid. I want to play that for you and make this pitch about your political involvement in the year 2020, where we are right now. That is a Democrat member of the U.S. House. She's one of the squad. What she just said to you should get the label that you heard years ago when you heard Senator Ted Kennedy attacking a Republican where he, where he said lie after lie after lie after lie after lie. Number one, I'm gonna run through the lies and then I'm gonna ask you, why in the world do women respond to the message she is sending, which is please think of yourself as a helpless victim. Please self-identify as a victim. But she talked about in her, in her ramble, she talked about the idea that women don't get equal pay for equal work. This is a lie. This is a lie that the left pushes because it tends to manipulate ignorant women into thinking they better vote Democrat because somehow Democrats are going to fix it and make sure equal pay really is, pay, is made between men and women. The reality is we've been over the sh on the show many times and I post, we've had experts talk about it, we've had data in. If you compare apples to apples, there is not this massive gender gap between men and women. By that I mean, if you compare women and men in similar jobs, with similar education, similar years of experience, the gender gap in pay disappears, disappears. When they get come up with these numbers, like 80 cents on the dollar, 83 cents on the dollar, what they're talking about is taking a list of women and what jobs they have and what they're paid, and then taking a list of men and their pay, and then dividing and saying average woman pay less than average man. And that is a statistical truth, or close to a truth. But the point is, the, old, the gender gap, the difference, is entirely due to choices women make. Women tend to choose careers that are paid less than many careers men choose. Women tend to major in things like many, not all, but women major in things like social work or things that they just, they know in our society, we don't pay at the same level. We don't pay social workers the same that we pay, you know, brain surgeons or engineers. So it's choices in college majors choices and jobs, women's decisions that they choose, and, and it's their right to do it. They choose to be part, they want to work part-time, they want to be stay-at-home mom, they want to have a long maternity leave, they want to take years off during their raising their children, they, they want to take uh, partial time or work part-time because they care for elderly parents. The point is, the difference in the average that women and men make is due to choices that they make and they're allowed to make and it's a good thing they make them because they're individuals and they can choose what they want. But when you hear her trying to convince American women there's some just unjust, irrational pay gap, not only is it a lie, but she knows it's a lie because the data I've talked about, the data that's been proven time after time after time, but all sorts of organizations have pointed this out to the left, but it works for the left to lie to the people. It works for the left to lie to you, to tell you women that you are really a victim, that somehow the world is unfair and employers are, they're somehow conspiratorially lined up against you and they're gonna make sure that you never find your way forward. To be clear, there should be equal pay for actual equal work by people who are in similar jobs who have similar experience, therefore they're bringing similar skill and ability and experience. And there's a remedy for it if that doesn't happen. The Equal Pay Act 
in this country was passed in 1963, even before Title VII, the Equal Pay Act passed. And that law essentially said, you cannot discriminate against, in, in, in pay, you have to pay women and men the same thing in the same jobs with the same amount of experience, you have to, you, you, you have to pay the same. Equal Pay Act happened in 1963. Then you had Title VII, which was the massive anti-discrimination bill passed in 1964. Employers cannot discriminate based on race, sex, national origin. Um, and so again, federal law has protected against discrimination since 1964 under Title VII. She talks about pregnancy. She used the expression pregnancy discrimination. There has been a law, the Pregnancy Discrimination Act, on the book since 1978. We've had a law that makes clear if your employer discriminates against you because you miss time because you're pregnant or because you take the leave to have to have your child. There are laws that protect you. There are already laws in place passed in many cases by Republican majority Congresses, Equal Pay Act, Title VII, Employment Discrimination. We have the Violence Against Women Act. She talks about violence against women and domestic violence as something women are victimized by. We've had a Violence Against Women Act intact since 1994. And she makes the argument about owning property. She says women are discriminated against by owning property. People, we had the first laws in this country. In Missouri, it was like 1770 or something. It's been a state law issue, but there's no state in the country that, that prohibits or in any way limits women's right to own property. This is just crazy. And women have had the vote coming up in August of this year. It'll be 100 years. All of the litany that she goes through all of the litany about how women are mistreated, it's so unfair and it's so outrageous and women have, are, you know, you're victims and look how horribly we're treated. They are lies. They're lies. And you have to ask yourself, why is it that Democrats, not just Ayanna Presley, all of them, why do Democrats constantly run on telling women lies? Why do they run and telling women, boy, you're a victim and your employer can't wait to be unfair to you and the world is unfair to you and colleges are unfair to you. I mean, we've gone over this show so many times in many of the major law schools in this country, in the graduating classes, there are more women than men. Same in medical schools, same in all sorts of advanced degrees, more women than men. This country offers women rightly equal access to education and to careers and to pay. She's talking about things, problems that don't exist, but she's doing that to manipulate you, to convince women that the only safe course you have in life is to vote for Democrats to protect you from the, the determined attention of somehow the evil rest of America to hold you down. It doesn't exist except in the imaginary mind of Democrats who want to spend all their political capital, expend their capital on the question uh, and somehow getting women to agree to be victims. What an ugly message to women. What a demeaning message to women that the only way we can scoop you into our party, think this is the Democrats speaking, the only way they can bring you in is to convince you that you're a victim, that you're helpless, that you can't stand up for yourself, that you can't use all these laws that already exist to protect you. And the ones I went through, those are just federal laws. Every state has all sorts of laws protecting women against discrimination. This is not a real problem, but what she's getting at is she wants Congress, and this is what Congressman Wright alluded to a little earlier, but she wants Congress to pass this legislation, this resolution that would change the deadline, going back to Phyllis Schlafly's days when the Equal Rights Amendment was, was being talked about, this Equal Rights Amendment, the idea was to put an amendment in the Constitution to amend the U.S. Constitution to put in an equal rights amendment that specifically says women have equal rights with men. And that equal rights amendment, you know, that Congress passed, so then it has to go around the various states. And there was a deadline. The right number of states had to pass that by some deadline or else it did not become a constitutional amendment. Well, the deadline long passed, not enough states signed on, so the Equal Rights Amendment died. So 
there's a push now to bring it up again. Again, this is an election year issue, a push again to bring it up. What she's trying to say, and the Democrats are trying to say is, instead of acknowledge that we couldn't convince enough legislatures to pass this, let's just magically change the deadline, push the deadline by decades decades. They're trying to say, let's push that deadline decades later and keep on plowing. Well, I got to tell you, this isn't a topic I was going to dive into today, the Equal Rights Amendment. I probably will sometime in the future, but I'll just tell you a couple of thoughts about it today. Number one, we have to actually follow the procedure set up. If people want to have a discussion about Equal Rights Amendment, then we can have it again. We can have the congressional debate. We can have it go around, and, the, and if the Congress says yes, let's let's amend the Constitution and do this. Then we'll have to go around to the states, get the right number of states. But I will tell you uh, three quick thoughts about it. Number one, ask yourself, what right is it that women do not have in this country that they would have if the Equal Rights Amendment passed? What is the right that you don't have, women? What is it you're not allowed to do? What law, what, where do we, what, where is it that law is lacking or law is absent so it isn't, isn't protecting us? What is it you can't do right now that you would be allowed under the Equal Rights Amendment? Because you are, we've just been through the litany. You can, it, it, we have all equal rights for men and women in voting and in uh, education and in occupations and salaries and uh, we protect against pregnancy discrimination we have employment laws i mean women are protected with equality under existing federal law so what's the reason to put this amendment in the constitution and i'll tell you two reasons that many people are concerned about it one is and this is a the the lesser of the reasons but a huge reason has to do with the idea of the U.S. military. We actually have in our country a mandatory, you know, young men have to sign up for the draft when they turn 18. Dra no, we're not drafting people right now, but it would subject women and men to the same gotta sign up. Maybe you think that's okay, but you know the battles we have in the military when you have the, you know, social justice warrior president, President Obama, pushing the envelope on social justice experimentation in the military, and that would get accentuated if the Equal Rights Amendment passed. But the real bottom line, why you heard Ayanna Presley pushing Congress to, sign, to, to pass this resolution that extends the deadline to get enough states to sign on the Equal Rights Amendment, it's all about abortion. It's all about abortion. There is no, to answer my first question, there's no other right that women in this country don't have that necessitate passing the Equal Rights Amendment. The Equal Rights Amendment push by the left is about abortion. In states where some arguable basis for saying the state law protects, creates equal rights, the left argues about use of taxpayer funds for abortion. The, the left argues that because the state recognizes equal rights between men and women, therefore the state cannot say that we don't use tax dollars for abortions. So it's, and at the federal level, it'll be the same argument. The only thing, the only issue pushing the left for this Equal Rights Amendment at this time is abortion. It opens up a whole new world of litigation and arguments about what exactly the duty is of Congress and the state legislatures to use tax dollars to fund abortion. That's the only issue. And it is the reason why a woman sitting here talking to you, I am a lawyer by background, I am way down the path of wanting women to have equal access to education and careers and to equal pay for equal work, which we do pretty much. I mean, there you can find random examples where things are amiss, but overall women do get equal pay for equal work. We do have the right to equally contribute to society. We do have the right to work, to earn salaries. We need to keep on breaking the glass ceilings. I'm in favor of that. But this ERA being pushed by the Democrat Party today is about abortion, period. It's the only issue that they have that they would say they could use this as a new club, a new hammer to clobber any opposition to taxpayer-funded abortion. That's what the issue is all about. 
We'll talk about ERA another day, but I just, I want to, I guess, but I want to close out this section of today's show by saying that I think it's very offensive that people like Ayanna Presley and basically the whole Democrat Party, every argument they make to women about why women should vote for them is all based in lies about America, attack on America, criticism of America, the idea that women in America are just a massive helpless class of people who can barely function every day because we are so weak and helpless and inept and we can't handle our own lives, so we better vote for them and they'll somehow make everything good and fair for all women. The left talks to women like we are stupid, like we are victims, like we are helpless, and that's not good enough for me and it shouldn't be good enough for you. Now, I wanna wrap up the show by telling you about why the stories we talked about today matter to you. To start with, we talked about today, we had our story about Roger Stone sentencing, triggering in the Dems. The recommended sentence of seven to nine years for non-violent offenses by a first time 67-year-old offender was outrageous on its face, especially because it was sought by a Mueller team that was transparently biased and engaged in perpetuating the Russia hoax fraud. That's the whole prosecution by the Mueller team was perpetuating the Russia hoax fraud. Now information's come, I didn't even get to this. I have to tell you another time. Information coming out, there was a rapid, rabid anti-Trump stone trial juror. She was, she was actually the foreman of the jury and she allowed into jury by a leftist judge appointed by Obama, a juror on the stone case, who's a radical anti-Trump leftist. That w- she was on the jury for the Stone case. Pelosi believes that Trump is abusing power to call out this injustice. The Democrat portion of the Beltway ruling class is propping up DOJ lawyers as unaccountable, unassailable lords over the American people whose judgment may never be questioned by anyone. And on the squad and Ayanna do not, sp- just to be clear what I'm saying about them, they do not speak for women. Elected U.S. Congresswoman Ayanna Presley, speaking in the House of the Floor, decries the America's, America's Constitution as sexist. She actually says that. It's sexist because it doesn't have the Equal Rights Amendment in it. Says American women are not free. She calls American women shackled. She spreads thoroughly debunked gender pay gap data. Presley is a radical leftist who speaks for radical leftists, not for women. Presley does not speak for women. She does not know America. The claim of a wide gender pay gap in the U.S. is demonstrably false. It's a myth when data is adjusted for differences in career paths and other non-sexist factors. And she either knows that and spreads lies anyway, or she's extremely ignorant. And why do leftist feminists try to gather followers and support by bashing America? My friends, that's America Can We Talk for today. Thank you so much for tuning in every Monday through Thursday, 3 p.m. Central Time to America Can We Talk, where I always talk truth about America because America matters. I'll talk to you next time. America Can We Talk. Truth about America.